Welcome to the Crash Coins Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Too many hosts. No, too many, never too many hosts. One has to go. Too many hosts. <laughs> That's a song? Is it? No, I was mocking too many cooks. Oh. The, I don't the, know that the, song. The, yeah. No, it's the YouTube video that goes on forever and ever to the point of insanity. I the adult, the adult swim thing. I actually yeah. don't do that on YouTube. I watch like other things i don't i don't specifically he's trying to say he's better than us no no but i don't seek out things i have enough voices in my head i don't need to add them from the television and or computer into there i mean but i know that you do that because you watch shows i watch shows i don't watch things that are supposed to drive me insane that's just crazy (laughs) so says the crazy guy at the table so joyless (laughs) i understand it though that's see that there's my credibility Uh, i see all right well then dive in here i went first so it is my pick i've been itching to put us back on the prog train ever since yugen uh because it really made me appreciate what's going on in europe right now my friend james is actually currently upset that one of the better american prog bands scale the summit which we looked at back in episode 67 has just broken up oh that's sad yeah and then i went scouring the internet for some prog grout to help fill that that hole in his life and you know i cycled through many albums before i landed this and i don't know whether it succeeded but i just i think it's more for me in the end <laughs> when in doubt go to europe i found the band second relation and their third album eno so apparently second relation formed in 2007 in austria and their debut album lynette was released in 09 and their second album in 2011 so they're not new it's just really hard to find any info on them no website to speak of just a facebook page with a humble but devoted following but i'll tell you quickly what did leap out to me as i was going through all these prog albums then i started listening to them as i'm listening their prog influence it's pretty self-apparent, but there's also a considerable amount of jazz fusion, which adds a nice layer of warmth throughout their work. We'll get more into that later, but mainly it was the vocals that threw me. Because I confess vocals are not often something that I notice in prog music, because the music is just usually so much more interesting than the vocals. Unless it's Godsticks, and that's a whole separate thing entirely. But I actually found some similar quirks in this guy's vocals to Darren Charles of Godsticks in moments, but it's almost as if Godsticks took a few cues from Rick Astley, or conversely, if Rick Astley or Justin Timberlake or Adam Levine took some major tips from Prague. So I was struck by how persistently intertwined the vocals and the backing vocalists were with the music. They're both equally dense, and that's why I knew this would make for an interesting pick, despite the conspicuous lack of details on the group. The lyrics, for instance, curiously, are in English. Remember, they're Austrian, but we can't find any transcript here, so we're just going to kind of highlight a few lyrics as we go. Uh, As for the info I do have, well, that would be the members. They are as follows, Bastion B. Berktold, which is an awesome name. That's uh, vocals and bass. Daniel Fleps on keyboard and backing vocals. Uh, Simon Gestoll on guitars. Julian Nockbauer on guitars and Michael Simic on drums. And as always, if you want to criticize Steve's pronunciations, oh, it's it. steve.nagel it. at crashcourse.com. Why do I even read things that might put me in jeopardy of this <laughs> ridiculous I'm game. still waiting for that one hate mail that you get of someone actually complaining about it, which hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but it'll happen. It's going to be all in caps. I know that much. Well, that's for sure. This, um, this is why I remain quiet. You? Yeah. Quiet? Yeah. For At least now. during opening spiels. Well, well that's fair. Uh, 
Um, no, yeah, this was uh, actually kind of um, blindsiding a little bit. Mm. I mean, you had given us some heads up on what the sound kind of was, and I was excited because the last prog band you brought us that said it was reminded you a little bit of something else was Godsticks, who I've since become infatuated with and adore. Oh. So I was excited about that, especially since it's no secret to the listeners of this show that I lean towards pop a little bit, at least needless to say, more than my co-hosts. So bringing on something that has some influence from modern pop and leans that way was interesting to me because I didn't really think prog could do that. Yeah. Just like I didn't think Prog could go finger quotes grunge either. So in case the audience is wondering, I gave Matt the exact same tagline as I just read to you. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it's also interesting that it is in English. I find that bands that speak another language that sing in English, the oomph is lost. Take your Rammstein for exa- example. Most of their English translations of those heavy industrial metal songs lose the oomph that the German language gives those songs. Yeah, which you, is really strange. You'd right. think they just use their native language. I don't know. Maybe it's for just the the extra sales that are available in or, Anglophile nations, or I maybe have no where idea. where they were born or raised, or that area is predominantly English speaking. Which and, well, it could be. and also, Europe is, is in general mostly they speak two languages, yeah. and English is common as a second language. So yeah. it well, could just not, be that. It's not just Europe. Like if you find anybody speaking a second language, you almost have a 50-50 shot that English would be the second language. Yeah. Not to say that I'm Anglo-centric on this sort of stuff, but it's just a common trade language. It's a common communication language. It's just people outside the United States realize it's a lot easier to talk to us dumbasses if they speak English. <laughs> it's a fair point, actually. That makes sense. Well, uh, or who knows? Maybe it's just is art. You know, yeah. sometimes certain languages fit. Like, for instance, remember back in episode 154 when we had Joe Benjamin on. He brought uh, Amor Tela by Banda Magda. She was Greek, but she chose specifically, even though she did not know French that well, she chose to do that album in French. So it may just simply be that. Uh, everybody ready? Yeah, sure. So why don't we jump into the first track, which is, of course, the title track. How about you instead know. we talk about the album cover? I know oh, we yeah, always skip true. over no, album no, okay. covers. No, that's fair. Let's do it. Let's no, do that, it. That's actually fair, because the album cover here is actually interesting, because it's this kind of gray palette with black inking almost on it's it. It's kind of a pencil sketch almost, but yeah, like a graphite, like heavy ink. And it looks sort of like an Art Deco kind of setup of like the breakdown of a layout of a house on one side, and then in the bottom corner on the right, it looks like a young woman sitting in a chair in front of a coffee table and it's just got this interesting kind of mellow vibe to it it feels calm it, well, yeah calm but it, she's staring at this at this cascade of it looks like furniture like you said art deco furniture stacked like overhead which is pretty abstract it doesn't look like it really you know it's like furniture turned on its side or like doors on its side it's or, like you're seeing a cross section of something or it's an unfolding yeah. And that's how I took it, especially after listening to the album. It's almost like the home of this person has been unfolded before us on the left side. Yeah. While at the right side, you do get in, in that lower right corner what I, we come to know as Eno, as the main character of this album. And she's. We're just putting two and two together here. <laughs> yeah. She's ignoring it. She's reading a newspaper. She's just sitting down at her coffee table, not really. Not really regarding this very artistic expression of of life, I guess, in some ways. I almost took it that she was just staring out into space. I love interesting album covers. Yeah. <laughs> we I mean, never talk about them. We, we don't often. I think the last one we talked about was Tim Hecker and how it kind of the blurry yeah. cover represented kind of the blurriness of that record. And it was more a song later in the album that actually the, kind the, of made us think, like, we should probably say something about the, the cover, album you know, cover, late, yeah. in, the, late uh, in the album. Fun fact, friend of the show, uh, Mike Regnetta and his show Idea Channel, features that album cover on their record wall. 
Um, if you watch their show, that is the a fun factoid. It is. I noticed it. I, I think they changed the set again because they change the records every so often. Yeah. And I noticed that about three or four weeks back. I was like, oh hey, I know that album. Yeah. So I mentioned to him via email, hey, you should check out this episode. Obviously, you like the band. Um, so that was fun. But yeah, I, I think that. We don't talk about album covers enough, and I feel like we should bring them up more because they can kind of give you an insight to an album that you might not have found anywhere else. Yeah. To give ourselves some leeway, I mean, last week was just Leonard Cohen just sitting kind of on the cover looking, looking cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, which I mean, not he really often much, looks. Yeah, not much to say there. But yeah, I, I really liked the mid-century look. So that said, let's talk about all things that are not visual now, and that is, of course, the music. Track one, Eno. Title track right off the bat. Well, we already went through that rant last week, so let's not do it again. Right. Um, let's talk about chord progressions here. Actually, let's me talk about chord progressions, because <laughs> right off the bat, I know that when I sometimes talk about chord progressions in depth, I always talk about ones that seem to end up on the wrong side of a very fine line. Well, here's something that I like. A smooth major one, minor four nine chord. And it's just those two chords for the intro and also throughout the first verse. So if we're in C major, which for a while I believe we are, uh, we jump up to F minor ninth, and then the atmosphere guitar, which is somewhat more toward the right ear, takes both the one from the first chord and then the ninth in the next, which together stand out as an interval of a fifth. So it's a really nice resolve, tension, resolve, tension, resolve, but written to sound very open, like something is blooming. There's this push and pull back, like breathing or like blood pumping through your arteries, out with every ninth and then drawn in with every one chord. Meanwhile, rhythmically, it's just as interesting. The drums and the bass are doing this like quick, like one, two, three, four, and, 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 four, and one, two, three, four, and, 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 four, and. So offbeat like every other measure. And then every fourth measure, a more assertive guitar swoops in. This just da -da 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 -da, just marking the end of the cycle, and then we go around again. So the more I listen, the more I love this as a setup. It's really not sacrificing in any particular area for me. It's really great for an exposition. Yeah, and I think that what was interesting for me is that with all of this going on, it's it's more or less encompassed by what you would consider your classic rock instrumentation. You know, there's guitar, bass, drums, like you had mentioned. And then when the vocals finally come in, they're really interesting as well because it's what you talked about earlier. We've got this singer who can kind of, I call it the Brandon Boyd effect, the lead singer of Incubus, this ability to kind of weave in and out of speaking, singing, belting, and also kind of hitting this kind of poppy vocal progression. And it's it ebbs and flows, and he shows dynamics pretty much throughout this entire song and album. And it's exactly that that I want to talk about, the way he kind of ebbs and flows and weaves in and out of, of different styles with his melody. So first of all, the opening verse lyrics, which again are transcribed, so they're kind of broken here, a little bit choppy. I, something about pretty, you know, uh, doesn't know where she's going, cluelessly she muses and ponders some things to herself. And then the backup vocalist here, that nah, 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 they, they, which the vocals here are actually reflecting the same rhythmic motif that that assertive guitar did earlier. And then concurrently, they start to flatten here a bit, which primes us for the chorus. But before we get to the chorus, I want to comment on these vocals, because I really like the syncopation. I think that's what makes it so interesting. That's how he kind of wheezed throughout this, let's just take that line, cluelessly she muses and ponders some things to herself. It's dotted quarters. If you're in double time, I'm probably counting it quicker than it should be, but it, it's also incorporating triplets. This is, in fact, this is just for the musicians out here. This single line 
is made of about four measures, if it's double time, and it would be a dotted quarter followed by another dotted quarter, technically four of them in a row, although the middle one has to kind of cross the bar line. Uh, second measure, third beat, is a quarter note. Fourth beat is divided into two eighth notes. And then the third measure is a triplet that spans the first two beats, and then a quarter on the third beat, and two eighth notes on the fourth beat. This is approximate granted, and then of course the, the fourth measure is just self, the word self. She ponders some things to herself, and that's the very first beat of the fourth measure. But, and though I could be a little bit off here because his voice is so flowing, it does hit marks, unlike someone who's in true free form. And in that case, what a complex melodic rhythm it is. I love this stuff. This is what I liked about Godstick's melodies, and yet it almost almost doesn't jive. Tiny little things which are hardly of any consequence yet, but for English, you know, there's there's accents, there's stresses, there's iams and trochees and dactyls, oh my. <laughs> and then if you take the line that muses and ponders some things, there's an emphasis on the zes that is just a little bit off. It's easily overlooked, but I wonder whether there is a slight, like, English as a second language problem. It was the earliest example of it. Like, why wasn't this in Austrian German, if that's where they're from? From where we sit, who could say? But this album occasionally jabs me with slight flow barriers like that, but meanwhile, the melody is so beautiful and meandering that, much like the lyrics point out, musing and pondering is exactly what it does. And that's something that wouldn't connect to us had it not been in English. So maybe I should look a gift horse in the mouth. Actually, I want to speak about that line, musing and pondering, because yeah. I feel it actually does a lot to represent that that slight disconnect that's going on right there, the slight lack of jiving. Because while the melody is meandering and flowing throughout, the rhythm section, I feel, is just slightly incomplete. And I love that about it. It makes me want more. It makes me want to keep going on. Yeah, same Because here. the resolution just isn't there. Isn't there enough in these verses, because it, it continues throughout the verses. It makes me keep wondering what's going to happen next, and not what's going to happen in the choruses. Because when we do get to the chorus, it's a, a solid step up. The keyboard shows up. The keyboardist, Daniel Fleps, he steps up, and he starts introducing new layers to this melody that we haven't already gotten. A new a new cadence that really does a lot to change it from this soft meander to something that is, is, is higher. It is almost screaming outward from this very quiet place we were earlier. It adds a lot to it. And then the organ steps in with these solid notes just ringing out, just yelling on top the of everything else. The organ is a presence else. almost throughout the album. Coming but in. when they're working in the chorus, when they're screaming within that chorus, oh, it's it's such an impact. Yet, it's not the resolution I was looking for in the verses. It's still only hinting at things that I, I'm going to get in the rest of the album. That in, Okay, we're showcasing a little bit right here. We're going to get a lot more discussion on what, who this person is who is who is pondering who, who is, is meandering he, around right here you know but it's it's creating this mystique very quickly very early on that it's just very captivating but the the chorus robs it of that is your point a little no bit. no it doesn't rob it it oh, that's doesn't actually rob it i like the chorus i like the way it's almost a slice of what the verses were trying to convey to us, but a very high slice, a very energized slice. Well, I think what's important to mention here also is that it's not showing all its cards. I feel like no. if it had gone in the way that we expected it to, they'd kind of be putting all their cards on the table. There'd be less allure or mystery. Also, the, the kind of higher feeling, the higher energy is also emphasized by his vocals, where he might have been a little more spoken and lower in the verses. Here in the chorus, he belts it out with the same passion that the instrument have, which what? syncs him up with it really nicely. Well, I think it has something to do with the chords as well, because, you know, all right, the chorus is at 35 seconds. It's pretty early in the piece. We just talked a whole mouthful about the verses, mostly me, 
but this was a shift that honestly didn't have me initially. I, it was a sudden throw to B-flat major, which is strange because it almost is like that's our new tonic. Has this all been like a big 2-5-1 progression in the making? That's, that's cool and all, but it didn't quite feel like what they'd been setting up. It was a bit of a wall of sound, and although I liked the organ drone in instances, it was a little bit sudden, but you do get used to it pretty quickly. And then vocally, the shift is that he's less crooning here. He, it's, it's more like I heard the singer from Mars Volta or even Coheed and Cambria, you know, that, that slight little whine, that little twang, there must be one other way, you know, it kind of does a vibrato thing at the end. So taste-wise, that's not quite my vocal style. That's like, that's not a style that thrills me as much as what he was doing before, which is why I actually did what I rarely do in this podcast and transcribe the notes themselves. But I guess that had to do more with the melody, though. Maybe it's just that different melodies inspire him to sing differently. Well, I think that's what it is, is because he's kind of lining up with where the instruments go, which is what he does throughout most of the record. And I think it seems foreign here because it's so early on the record and we're not familiar with his style. But it seems kind of cohesive and makes sense as we go through more of their work. Well, like you hear it in the line, abandoning this insecurity, like that, like the little wine there, incurity, and then there's that, that vibrato at the end. It's still interesting. It's just a little bit of a different style. I thought, though, that the way the guitar transformed from verse to chorus, the way it becomes almost a siren rail, it did a lot to add to that really reaching out, that expulsion kind of an idea I was going for with the chorus. But it also did a lot to let his vocals really marry to the wall of sound that was going on in the chorus. True. Because the way it was just accenting and working off of his words, working off of his uh, vibrato, it, it did a lot to... To not just allow him to work with what the music was doing, but to allow his voice to stand out from the music. And that, that to me, allowed the different styles to remain identifiably a single person. No, yeah, no, I can't, I can't argue with that. And also the backing vocalists kind of make it fun in its own right, because the backing vocalists are another major presence throughout here. They're, they're, they, they arrive in many sections of many tracks. They're, they're almost as important as the vocalist himself. And I think it's also important to mention that I think the thing that really brought me into the chorus is mostly that it's just catchy as hell. I mean, it's very easy to kind of belt along to, even if you don't know the words, in the similar way I would kind of belt along to Green Day, even though I didn't always know what the hell Billy Joe was saying. Yeah. You know, it was emphasis more than actual words, and I get a sense of that from the choruses, which kind of kind of got me wrapped up in it right away, too. Well, since we're talking about style, then let's go to the second verse, because at 56 seconds, we throw back to the part A, you know, but instead here, we have a whole different lyrical structure. It's bouncy, but it almost feels like it's channeling Justin Timberlake here. It's, it's not quite as, um as musing and pondering. Instead, right. suddenly, there's a little bit of a jolt. And also, he reaches down to his chest on the second line, which is an interesting, because it's this, for all that she has qualities, qualities above others. And here, his his register is almost that of, like, what Rick Astley was doing back in the 80s. M- mostly kind of soulful and very deep, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it just, you know, it brings back the question of English phrasing as well, because there's that, that line, for all that she has qualities. Like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, just the words themselves, they sound a little weird. But then I can quickly overlook it because, I, I here's a little anecdote. I forget who said this. It was a philosopher of some kind. or Someone said there's not true attraction without some oddity in the features. And that was obviously concerning, like, romantic or even physical attraction. And I realized that I line up with that musically almost to a T. So that even though the first time I heard it, I kind of questioned the phrasing there for all that she has qualities, just kind of a head-scratcher of a line, then I started really enjoying it. 
And maybe it's just the way he sings it and the music surrounding it, the context in the end that makes it so enjoyable. I think that's probably one of the biggest draws for uh, bands like the Decemberists and their turn of phrase and the fact that yeah. the, the, the way the actual words work are correct they're grammatically appropriate but people don't say it that way because we don't always speak grammatically correct we say good instead of well when you're supposed to use one instead of the other and right or rightly or the word irony is completely butchered constantly but when you have somebody who's saying something correct and saying something that can be done this way, like qualities. Qualities can be a noun used in this situation this way. It's just not something that's normally done anymore. Well, imagine if that came out of, well, I mean, of course, I, I realize this could be easily shot down by, you know, probably numerous examples throughout music, being like, what if someone said that in conversation? And you probably run into a lot of little discrepancies. But it's interesting if someone said to you, like, well, you know, for all that she has qualities above others, it makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense, but it makes sense. Now, there's in a, there's a, an inherent clause there, but... Yeah, it's a literary sense. That's At the end of the day, that's what it is. It's the sort of thing you would read in your favorite author or something like that, but it's not going to be a dime store novel. It's going to be something that tends to be a little bit more Charles Dickens-ish. Well, I'll tell you something else that I'd like to bet this, this section, because even though I liked that as the lead singer sang it, I also like the backing vocalist, because they're just as interesting. They follow up that line with this whole no direction, no, I don't know what they're saying because I don't have the transcript, but it sounds like they're kind of going around in a circle singing no direction, no, no direction, no. I know it's something a little bit different than that, but they're going around in the circle and then they raise the pitch a little bit at the end and it just matched the chords so well. I love this verse. And the second time around, it's even, it's just as good, just different than the first time around. So let's just push through this song a little further because then we have another chorus, so it's pretty standard fare before finally a keyboard solo. <laughs> Which was actually a very fun and engaging keyboard solo. I wouldn't say it was super flashy or masturbatory, but it was definitely playful and engaging and, and kind of everything I would have wanted at this point from a keyboard solo. It's also where the jazz fusion comes in. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts is that the organ does show up again to reintroduce it to the rest of the track. But when it shows up, I feel I feel like this is a... a this is a payoff that I really wasn't getting so far in this piece. And we're not talking about a 10-minute song here. Like, the solo steps in around two minutes. So, like, we're going through a lot of different phases very rapidly. Well, yeah, that's... Yet, yet, I feel like a lot has gone on. A lot of characterization has been going on. I feel like I'm starting to already know what and who Eno is without really getting into the nitty-gritty because it's being described so well with these instruments. Well, I think this this chunk of the track was so dense but so masterful, masterfully crafted that it didn't feel dense. It kind of just washes over you if you let it, you know? If you're yeah. not obstinate towards it, you kind of just go with it. Yeah, and, and don't mistake me, you know, the fact that I'm sort of dwelling on these sections and I guess maybe making it seem more dense than it is, it's not because I'm being obstinate, it's because I, I really enjoy it. I want, right. I want to, like, convey a lot of these sections because this is what Prague is all about. It's all about the details. And then, you know, in this keyboard solo, it's another thing. This is the first instrumental that we're getting, and it's the first 
time you you feel these instruments coming back, you start to say something about the organ. John. Yes. And the organ, it, it's true that even though I was maybe a little bit obstinate toward it in this in the chorus because mm-hmm. that was just that wall of sound. Here it's really well blended because in the beginning you don't have the organ yet; it's just the keyboard uh, by itself. And there's a moment where everything silences, save for just the keyboard playing by itself, only to crash in strong with that organ accompaniment, and which drones out for the duration. And it's just, it's so funky and jazzy and, and all that stuff. And then it, you have even more layers get that piled on here, a, a synth descent that sort of comps along the solo. It descends in C minor, starting an octave and a half above C, and then for about 12 notes, it descends one right after the other and it takes four measures to cross in total rhythmically kind of like this do 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 like it's shaking its head you know and his vocals are comping here too like he's shaking his head because he's just going no 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 and it's all very in line with the music it's a great great jam and so early in the album yeah yeah it's setting us up pretty high and then we get a bridge later on you get a bridge a drum kind bass. of a bridge it's kind of a bridge almost a solo for the drum and bass almost a, a dual solo well, it's not, it's not it's, really a solo it's a showcase in a sense that there's not a lot of other instrumentation happening at the time but they're not being flashy or showing off or doing anything no but they're playing so well on top of one another the yeah. bass pokes its head through ever so slightly to get past the, the kick of the drum just to showcase hey yeah, yeah okay here's the hard Beat you were experiencing, we're gonna give you that right now. This is this is a, a, the undercurrent that maybe you weren't focusing on because the guitar was greater, the keyboard was greater, this was greater, that was greater, the vocals were great. We're getting every little aspect of this track kind of dissected for us with these different sections, and it's doing a lot to really make me appreciate the different instruments. Well, the thing that I like about Bridge One is, of course, it's another example of a of a, of a new vocal style. You know, here I got something different from his vocals. It was more like Kings of Convenience. And they're sort of soft or, well, that's a more recent example of probably a style that could be more universally uh, recognized by Simon and Garfunkel. You know, it was very soft, very almost like folky. But of course, we're still in this rock environment. But his vocals are so tender. He just goes again and again and again and again. And then at some point, he does start like he pulls back from that pretty quickly. And there are various lines that, that again, even though I don't know much about the character Eno, there are lines that just that just tickle my fancy. There's one line, but all she sees is opacity. Doesn't that just make you wonder what that, like, that's a person who's confused or existentially confused, but all she sees is opacity. And then later in in Bridge 2, there are lines um, where it seems like he's channeling her. When will I be able to break through these walls? When will this darkness leave me? When will the rays of sunshine ever find me here? And this is another vocal style, also pretty separate, kind of back to... I guess more of a, a an alt-rock kind of thing, just a general alt-rock kind of singing style. So he's... Dynamic doesn't do it justice for his vocals. Yeah, he's definitely the most... He's this amalgamation of different vocalists, but he's not blending their styles. He's absolutely pulling from different styles as he goes. I'm sure maybe it's just him in the end, yeah. but it's just that it's it's inevitable right. that when he makes these shifts, which are probably, you know, coming out of the writing of the music, they seem like such a great, you know, a, a new section, uh, yeah. such a great push for the song, but it's just other people are bound to have these little it connections. It just feels like a true instrumental diversity applied to vocals. 
You know, the yeah. fact that he kind of is pulling out different instrument versions of his own vocals for the occasion instead of grabbing actual instruments, which and, I think is really interesting. And the thing Steve kept saying, because there's still one more part I need to talk about, he kept saying bridge one, because there is a second bridge. Or, well, I read the lyrics uh, from bridge two ahead of time, but go for it. I don't really call it bridge two. It feels like a a verse prime yeah, prime. You could also I don't know. It's weird. I think they're actually all just verses. You may be right about that. It's just they differ so much in character from the very beginning. But the melody seems to be present here in a lot of ways. It's not the exact same melody we were getting earlier in the track, but it has enough of the character that when that electric guitar steps in and really starts, once again, wailing, but in a different way than what I was enjoying in the chorus, it's... It is like another bridge. It is like a whole new section, almost a, like a D there's section. There's a wailing and another thing to say about that that last section. Yeah, if you call it a D section, if we've gone through that many sections, then I, I also heard this the synth bass was a, sort of a heavier sound that really made this, it made it lean more toward metal, which we are going to be getting later in the album as well. But see, even that's not beyond their, uh, their field of influences as well. Metal is just as much up their alley, and they seem to command just about all of it. It's really just the kind of song that they want to build in the end. So I guess as an overall, you know, leaving track one, I feel like I was thrown in very many different sections, but just the sheer skill was enough to keep me very interested. And it's why it kept me going through to track two, where we'll get a whole nother set of influences. Let's go to track two, Labyrinth. We just previewed that metal that shows up pretty heavily right away in the guitar work, but it's being paired with something that... I haven't heard in a very long time the keyboard, and the keyboard is working with the brighter registers, working very high up, and the combination of the two, the, the distinctly metal riff, is, is already throwing me for a loop. And for something called Labyrinth, I'm a little bit curious and a little bit scared as where you're going to go, because on the one hand, yes, it's, it's almost out of sync, the keyboard. It's almost a little bit out of tune with everything else that's going on. And it's creating a sort of manic impression on top of everything else. There's definitely a manic quality to this. And also the bass is just this relentless, you know, it really is barring for the last track. I think it was a really good blend to come think of it from that, that section D into this. It really prepared you for this section. But it's just this relentless, you know, dun, 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 dun. and there's a little stuttered nature to it. So in general, yeah, this is really, this struck me at first more like a metal track, but it is interrupted by the keyboard. And in fact, that interruption shows up again when the rhythm section kind of redoes itself and reinvents itself. And there's that, that a momentary pause where when it goes back into it, it, it frankly, I want to use the word epic. I'm not quite there yet, but it was it was <laughs> oh, there are, it. There are, I'm going to reserve that word for sections later in this track. I will say, though, it does have this kind of adventurous feel to it. I mean, I felt the instrumentation in this track almost was like this kind of instrumental time travel, like you were lost in time and space. Just kind of the way it ebbed and flowed and the way it transitioned from section to section, it kind of gave me, like, picture the opening to Doctor Who, if you're a Doctor Who fan, and the TARDIS just kind of flying through time and space, just going, but there's no real direction to it. I get that sense of just kind of bouncing through this vast whatever it is. Well, I feel like you were subconsciously affected by a couple of the lyrics then, yeah. because he does use that line. Let's uh, start with the vocals here. Humanity's plunging this wretched planet into chaos. We simply plunge along. And this feels like the song is just, we simply plunge along, and it's yeah. those low vocals, right? And then he bellows with this, we are but 
a tiny little speck of dust and his vocals prolong that that we are but and it that yeah. it's it's almost like he's weaving around he's not quite sticking the landing on the pitch but then he finds it and it's just so odd that I can't turn away. I'm not saying this works in every instance. It can't, again, the way he sets the words specifically to music, just the way I hear the 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 English language being set to this particular melody, but it's just, I, it, there, it almost felt silly to the point that it became endearing. Because even later, I mean, he's clearly being playful. Fly is in a spider's web, big fat spiders. But then he bursts out with pollute us with your garbage and the vocal style here starts to bring back that wine but then they stack on another couple of words the vocal the backing vocalist with these lovely harmonies over the word garbage that sort of elevate it it's it's a glorious transition and actually that's not even the transition because the true transition begins with uh the synth bass that sort of is ushered in by those backing vocalists and then we have these really deep vocalists that plunge along with this not knowing when, not even where, and here's the line that I was leading up to, time and space feel out of place. They feel futile. And the rhythm starts kind of getting off center here. Mm -hmm. And that's the fascinating part, is that the stuttered little bass transition that I really, really like into the chorus doesn't really lead us down a rabbit hole. It leads us to what I would just call a pop rock chorus. Yeah, I mean, the chorus is much brighter than the rest of the track was, which was interesting. But I don't know that it would say it was unfounded or unrelated. I mean, especially where my brain was with this track that was kind of bouncing around time and space. I mean, technically, you can land anywhere then. And so, sure. it, it, for me, it didn't seem that odd. And what was interesting is it kind of gets wrapped up into the song as we go later on. Because those deep vocals that you were talking about, they're overlaid with higher vocals as well for this really interesting dynamic harmonizing that we haven't really heard a lot of yet. And I think it was a really interesting way to kind of add another odd anomaly to the track. It does a lot to ground the track. And I think that's actually needed here because we're starting Maybe. to lose a lot of cohesion between the bass falling apart, the keyboard started by falling apart. Everything is sort of getting artistic. Getting expressionistic. Nope, no problems there on my end. But true, maybe. You know. But the end result on something that doesn't have any grounding could just be a cacophony of random notes, and there's no reason why you 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 don't have something to go home to. There's no reason to go down this rabbit hole that we were being led on, unless there's a place that you're starting from that is home, that is safe. So the unusual, so the oddity that the verses are is a great counterpoint to the safety, and if you would read those lines again. Not knowing where, not even when, or maybe reverse, not, not knowing when, not even where, time and place, time and space feel out of place. They feel futile. You need to have some grounding for that kind of context. Yeah, and they use and the same great. lyrics in the in the the sort of uplifting pop chorus. They use the same not knowing where, not even where. You know, it's it's just it sounds so uplifting that it's almost a little bit ridiculous. Maybe it is needed, but I do think that's a little bit of a, a cheeky you know uh, joke on their end. You know, with the way they were playing around with the the lyric "big fat spiders" before. I think they're just being playful. And yeah, frankly, I don't even I, say I guess a joke. Working. I would say the difference between joking and being a joke you know this idea of being playful and i think yeah. i think that's the key here i mean the end result is that there are definitely sections of the track and the album that i do like better than let's say this particular type of chorus but sure. that's that's you know it's still 
led us to a pretty interesting transition because around uh, one minute fifty five seconds, this uh, from the from the pop chorus, we go into something that I thought was totally scale of summit. It's actually sad that they're broken up now, but needless to say, well, how now I have these guys because there was this running skipping bass that felt like it actually was caught in time and space, mm-hmm. and it's just the tone of this. You know, go back to something on Scale of Summit's album, The Migration. It's all over that album, plastered throughout it, and the lyrics literally meandering, running uphill, rushing down streets uh, without uh, crosswalks or something, uh, not knowing where, not even when time and space feel out of place. Another one of those mantras, and this time his vocals soar into yet another transition, and this is the one that basically sold me on doing this album. Um, (laughs) The keyboard here starts rolling through the gap between this transition, and then suddenly at 2 minutes 20 seconds, I heard Children of Nova, which is a whole other type of prog, catchy, heavy rock. It's so dense at this point, just the pitter-patter, the drums are rat-a-tat, 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 it's insane and the leading guitar that really you could just lose yourself in is this guitar that just goes on with this in the scale 2, 3, 2, 3, right and then in, later on as the chords change that's only on the minor 1, we go to the major 7 and then the major 6, and on the major 7 the guitar is doing 6, 7, 6, 7 and the major 6 where all the tension is wrapped up in, it's flat 5, 5 flat 5, 5, and that's when the ninth becomes the tritone, so This is just awesome rock and roll right here, and I have not had that in a while in this podcast. I mean, I find that when we do get awesome rock and roll, it's at a cost. Like, it's either kind of more accessible, which is... Is, is valid as well, but I feel like this is kind of, it's nice to see someone not pull their punches. Yeah. And what's interesting is the the line, time and space, those words are doing a lot to describe what the music is doing. It's wibbly-wobbly, as we like to say. <laughs> as a lot of people like to say. But Only the you vocals, Doctor Who people. <laughs> the vocals you Doctor doing, Who people, you used to watch the show. Yeah, I used to. <laughs> even the chorus, for as grounding as it is, it feels like it has that kind of space to it that has that kind of explosive power when you get and you find something in space but here especially with the guitar that we go into it feels like it's actually trying to personify it all right i'm glad you brought up the time and space thing because i mean all right if it's not specifically doctor who then it's you know all the other sci-fi that i'm completely wrapped up in to be fair i brought that up first earlier Okay. I'm just yeah, saying. I, I, credit where credit's due. I remember. <laughs> okay, okay. I couldn't forget. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, that's why people love psychedelic rock. It is not so much psychedelic. It's a different kind of thing. But you're right. At the two minutes, 50 seconds, the, this 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 instrumental is not done because it goes into another fantastic guitar solo. It's this, just the repeating figuration over and over, but it's a little bit, it's got a little bit more of a step to it. This is true prog rock at this point. And then finally at three minutes, five seconds, the keyboard takes over as we move through a bridge of sorts and then just comps throughout now the bridge has vocals but it's marked and maybe you could say this is the or opening verse i don't know but it's very different it's marked more by these drums in the background that are delicately panicking and so that's something to go back to what you said because i do get a sense of worry considering our time and space feel out of place everything is kind of just falling apart here and now the drums are are introducing that panic there's it's a snare fest it's just in the background delicately panicking on the snare and there's just a veneer over the vocals but vocally the lead singer sings this eno feels like in an insect caught in this web trying to escape which obviously brings light to the character itself. And again, an awesome musical twist, because on that word escape, the backing vocalists swoop in, and this awesome little jazzy chord change enters in as we just 
raise up from one major chord to the very next major chord. Just modulate up a half step. It's a very, it's a very sexy twist. It also does a lot to, to kind of put space around the vocalist. Um, I, I would liken this almost uh, identifiably Crosby, Stills, Nash. Like back in the heyday, 1960s, with a little bit of leaning towards like the psychedelic rock vocal style. Very breathy. And it, it kind of puts them separate all the instruments start spreading out around them it really does a lot to to give space a lot of meaning in this track well yeah because i think space is really defined in many different ways between how the vocals change between how the instruments interact and separate and how the vocals interact with the instrumentation i think there's and then the actual content of the lyrics itself in fact when the harmonies come in it's almost like a a an echo effect. Well, yeah, Almost. because you've got the low vocals and the high vocals, and they're not quite in sync either. It's not like your typical harmonization where, you know, they're saying the same thing at different tones. Here, they're not quite in pace with each other. And that effect right there does a lot to just really capture imagination on this mm -hmm. part. Because I, I was I was really enjoying the track, and it goes, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. And this little showcase of vocal work was just... Uh, like instantly endearing for me this this track really as a whole was so rewarding for me every single instrument including the vocals including the the mystique of these lyrics I'm I'm just thoroughly fascinated by I think the only thing that I really have to take some umbrage with is those little pop choruses because they do feel like they just rob the the thing as a whole but it does ground you and you, you definitely made that point clear John but but if we're gonna bring up you know other things about this uh, the bass was equally as stellar and we're not even mentioning it because the bass is is so rich from the the second we ended that that instrumental and even throughout the instrumental but from that point on throughout all of the secondary bridges and the secondary the the organ transition back to a the bass is just equally as fascinating and and equally as stellar throughout it does have loops but it's just more of everything we love yeah yeah it kind of goes through a few things then I mean, we get another pre-chorus chorus combination for me it hit me again i loved it again yeah. i enjoyed yeah. it again and the end is like this this weird fusion of organ and guitar interruptions it's sort of another another jam to close out so in total i love this track if i haven't made that perfectly clear track three white mirror so you know i don't like to harp on intros too much that's usually steve's bag but here nah. we get so steve had commented on how we had these hints of jazz throughout the first two tracks but not a ton it was just these little moments here we really get it we get hit with Two of Steve's favorite things, I feel like. Funk, for sure, which is no secret. And this kind of fusion with jazz and rock that give this kind of weird electronic vibe to the whole intro of the song that reminded me of something that doesn't actually really have to do with this band at all. It had this pace that felt like you were kind of on a highway at night, but because of the electronica, I picture like a neon skyline, which actually brought me back to something that sounds very similar, but only in these intro like 30 seconds or so, because it departs from it. There's a song called Neon, or rather a stage in the fourth Ninja Turtles game, Turtles in Time, <laughs> which was back on the Super Nintendo and an arcade cabinet when kids, what those were, were these giant machines where you played video games in public places. You had to pay a quarter per life. Or sometimes, 50, sometimes or 50, 50 cents. cents. Or a dollar for those highfalutin shooters, which was just a ripoff. Time was money, was life. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, but there's a song where you're the Ninja Turtles and you're surfing on these like electronic 
green turtle shells and it's called Neon Knight Riders and it's this weird kind of future cityscape because you're in the future chasing the villain and what's really interesting is it's got this cool kind of jazzy electro sound that when I played it for the guys it did at a faster pace feel very similar to the start of this it's, song. It's, it's the same for, emotion because yeah. this is not quite as worrisome as the last track. Right. The last track really, with the exception of just the chorus, was very worrisome and, and I mean, in a very unique and exciting way. This is exciting lighter. in an exciting way. Yeah. It's it's a funk jazz fusion jam for probably the first 33 seconds and it really is a whole nother level of stellar because it's just virtuosic in, and that's about all I could say about it. It's, yeah. it's fascinating between the guitar and the synth and the bass every it's just good good jazz and i think the pacing of it is what reminded me of that video game because even though they're not at the same speeds it, it was definitely that same kind of exciting rush yeah really? you do get an arcade feel i really saw it in in the keyboard because the keyboard yeah, was leading sure. the jazz like full force that was the one that was like just fun and what this does when it goes into the first verse, where the first verse almost feels like it's just funk. It's just fun funk. It did, but, well, but, in, in a more of a bouncy, but. like, Jason Mraz kind of thing. It's, yeah. Again, I'm constantly thinking, I mean, I, I don't want to take away the individuality of this vocalist, but it's just sometimes I hear Maroon 5 when they were a little bit jazzier, like back in Songs About Jane, but also Jason Mraz in his kind of inherently bouncy style that is almost hip-hop but isn't quite because it feels like he's more borrowing from the R&B side of it. And uh, and actually, R&B is probably where I would just safely put the verse, if, if like with the funk twists and all. Yeah, with the the guitar, which the the guitar really feels like it stays pure to that idea, while stuff like the harmonies and the way they feel a little bit separate, they are doing a little bit more of I guess R&B. It's it is like a whole new character on this album yet at the same time I I'm we're rapidly going through a lot of different ideas genre wise and and sound wise on this album so far but at the same time I'm not losing any identity for the album itself or the band and to be honest this sound here even though this may be a slightly exaggerated version of it for the album it it does really it is kind of a safe zone it's an yeah. area that they refer back to enough that I don't feel it is some kind of like isolated separate thing but then all right you have the pre-chorus here where you just have the single guitar in the background almost like arena level inspired and that kind of previews the chorus which at first I was a little perturbed by because it was another one of those wall of sounds you know the organ I walk a fine line with that instrument specifically in this album because the organ sometimes just has that pervading drone which when was stacked up against the guitars and all these other in instruments you know it can be a wall of sound that's a little bit perturbing but then there's those chord changes that make this interesting like right in after he says from inside the mind or something like that then there's from he says something else I'm not exactly sure can't quite pick it out but there's a chord change right there that really made this chorus suddenly worrisome and it dove the track back down into a little bit of the rabbit hole that the previous track was in yeah the, the bass dissonance that comes in that leads to that organ shift yeah really changes the emotion of this track in a split second. And go figure, because here I am saying, you know, the organ, I walk a fine line with it, but if it wasn't for the organ, I don't think it would have had the right. same the impact. Right, the bass by itself moment. wouldn't have had that impact. It was especially that, that final shift when it was going particularly high, when it was finally, like, ending all the phrases that were being built here, that it was... It was soap operas do it, things like that, but it was so appropriate here. It was so perfect for what it was doing. It was loud for a soap opera, but well, sure. But, but it was that it was that chord. It was that height. It was that register that was just bang, 
and on top of everything else, it really just, it struck me. And then it goes down. And it goes sweet and loving and hot and breathy. That's the second verse. And here, it really was a lot more romantic. You know, he's he's almost whispering. I, I don't know what he's saying, but the, the spaces between the melody here make this section so full of breath that it was... I was starting to really see the overall logic in this. And that's always fascinating for me when I approach a song that in the beginning, the first experience is a little like, oh, that's, a, that's an odd turn. Oh, that was a strange turn. But then I, the logic unfolds gradually. You, you understand a new way of perceiving, uh, perceiving rising action in many ways. And what's interesting here is the, the hints of romance here. You would expect it would be about the vocalist and this woman, but it's not. It's actually the woman is still the character on her own, and this is about her walking hand in hand with somebody else, another character. It's really building this kind of world around Eno that's really fascinating. It's very easy for a vocalist to put themselves in the narrative, but that's not happening here, which is really intriguing. Yeah, and you get different levels of, of you know, romance and dreamlike qualities to the third and finally fourth verse, where I felt he was probably at his the, the most dreamy, the most romantic. At this point, the vocals are practically a lullaby. It's, it's, a, it's a comfort song. And the lyrics, glancing back to where... Uh, their eyes had been, the days seemed gone, days relief, uh, but disappointment too, something uh, indeterminate. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, old habits instead of new challenges. And she holds out her head, uh, looks straight into his eyes again and again, still they smile, next they laugh, then they leave hand in hand. Yeah. What was so important though before this verse is there was such a gradual rebuild of ideas into yeah. it because we're talking about it was hot, it was breathy. I love those words to describe this section. But by the time we get to this little bit of poetry, it's not there anymore. We were having such a, a rebuilding intake of breath up until this point that it's almost we're holding our breath at this. So when hand in hand happens and the last in hand, the last little bit, when all the music cuts out, it's like the final quiet expulsion of all this emotion we were building up. Yeah. But at the same time, I still don't see this as two people. It's too identifiably this album, too identifiably still Eno. It feels like just... We're focused on her still. Well, everything still, is, our everything camera is still third just... person. And because yeah. we're in third person about a very specific character that it might as well be, you might as well perceive it in first person after a while because all you sort of interpret are, are, are Eno's uh, reactions against things. We don't know exactly what that is, but if there is some kind of you know romance here, then it feels almost like a phase, if anything. Like it's just a, a phase and end scene, you know, is even the way the track closes because it's just that last line. Then they leave hand in hand and this very satisfying resolution. And that's it. That's it. There's no no lingering instrumental, no nothing. Yeah, the song just ends pretty sharply, actually, which almost feels anticlimactic because you know that there's more to this story. Obviously, we're only at track three. And yet there it is. It's standard. This scene's over and you don't really know what to make of what's next. Well, what's great about this scene transition between track three and four, The Essence of the City, is that what we got in this track kind of condensed itself into a specific kind of place. Maybe they, maybe a coffee shop, maybe something like that. Right. And once they hit the door and left, the door closed on us. Right. But The Essence of the City, which between White Mirror and Essence, I don't know which is my favorite, Essence of the City is is in a lot of ways the opposite, where 
where White Mirror is nice and muted and sort of close to the heart, Essence starts off right away with a rising rock guitar. It's it's starting off saying big, saying strong. Well, there's it begins, this strut it begins to it. Prog, like a, kind of like a prog track at first, but then it turns funky. And actually, you just reminded me of something, John. You said it begins big, it begins strong. I don't know, but there is something in, in uh, I believe it's in German, that Eno means, you know, a woman who's strong with a sword. So it would seem that because we put so much investment into this character, that that would really aid in you wanting her to overcome these challenges, whatever they may be. But that's interesting because the essence of the city, despite that the lyrics at times do make you feel as if she is probably the end of her rope, certainly the lyrics that come later. In the beginning, it does seem like a good portion of the song would be very fun and lively in concert, hardly indicative of hopelessness. The song is exuberant. It's mainly funky because of this boxy synth bass that sort of travels in the background and throughout the verse, while the guitars are constantly working in chromatics. I would call it chromatic evasion because they never want to resolve. It just wants to descend funkily into madness. And then this chorus, which at one minute and eight seconds, the transition here was seamless. This chorus is a natural elevation of the funk section into an energetic, perhaps even a funkier muse. Uh, Maroon 5 and Muse, it feels like it's Adam Levine in vocals or even Matt Bellamy because he's dancing on stage, he's rousing a room full of people. I could not stop moving to this. He even ends this chorus on a bit of an Ozzy Osbourne note because he really just like winds out that final word of the chorus before we go into another instrumental transition, which we'll get to in a moment. But in the beginning, you really don't feel as if it's, you really don't feel the plight of the character as much, unless you take it as a kind of schizophrenic experience. But once you tap into that, it's a new wave of enjoyment. But what I really like here is the moment that I call the Godsticks transition, this idea that Godsticks, whenever we listen to them, would often come to a full stop and then give us something a little different. And that happens here because suddenly there's an apparent acoustic guitar. It's not completely acoustic, but we're getting a focus on the acoustic guitar that was nowhere to be found at any point on this album beforehand. Yeah, I think it was the first time we even hear, heard it, period. So this is, of course, yeah, the instrumental transition, one minute and 47 seconds, which is suddenly very soothing, and that acoustic guitar can be heard in the background, but the, the lead guitar, Meanwhile, is just pouring out tears. But the whole thing just sounds very Godsticks to me, so they are starting to worry it up a little bit, which will really match the lyrics that we'll eventually get. This bridge, we get almost like a space rock jam going on. And this combination adds a whole nother, I guess, layer to the scene because for as as bright and exciting as everything was earlier, this is really adding some neon to it. This is really adding some some lights to this to this city essence that we're viewing right here. There's neon everywhere. I mean, even the strange vocals that they put in the background, like in the distance, I don't really know what they serve because you could barely hear them. Yeah, that was, was the section... only thing that was like disappointing to me about this track, yeah. is that there were moments, and this happens later in the album as well, where his vocals are kind of an echo in the background. Like speaking through a bad microphone, it almost felt like. And like at that point, because he's clearly saying words, there are phrases here though I can't make them out, it's a bit of a bummer because I'd rather hear what he's saying because I like his vocals so much. But what it does do is it adds a little bit of, of 
scare. It adds a little bit of sleaze to it. It's adding which we've had it's a added, but it's it's really cementing those ideas from so. how happy go lucky everything started off with. I guess how but I was... how, how hopeful everything started off with. It really is cementing that the hope's gone. Well, I guess yeah. I guess the tone is you know we've had this issue before where sometimes the tone is consistent but the genre isn't and I feel like maybe that's a little bit here because we are jumping around a lot like then at 2 minutes 28 seconds then we we go into a folk rock track I mean I may not like each of these sudden transitions but this was really pretty ridiculous we have acoustic you know and then the shakers and the folk style vocals this is a completely different different genre and an initial blow is a little bit weird being like oh we're here now all right come on this is a prog a monstrosity in terms of every genre it wants to incorporate but you do start to get to know it after a while and then it becomes endearing so then that by the time we actually throw back to the or the 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 next chorus here, it's I actually started to enjoy it more than I did even the first time, and I really liked it the first time because of just how energetic it is, and it contrasts against all of these soft sections, and then the softest section of them all, the final folk section, which I thought was beautiful enough to actually transcribe these lyrics verbatim. So let's have a little fun with that. For the first time, she can see the essence of the city, hidden alleys open in front of her. She's not afraid, and she ventures in like a child, marvels at this new world. Her eyes reach out for all the magic, heads spinning in colors all around her. The dark fog of old has been cleared away, mental blockade is gone, the gate of her emotions stands wide open, and a pleasant storm softly carries her through this new world of experience, a heavenly feeling, like paradise. It's paradise. If English is his second language, good God. Because that's great poetry. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, it's it's a great summation of what was going on. And I think, while it was scattered, at the end of the day, I still feel like each section, though, was a different neighborhood. And we were very rapidly going through these different neighborhoods. Yeah, but I mean, we, we didn't even get to the most interesting part of the neighborhood yet because after that moment and those lyrics we get a bass guitar synth jam to oh, outro the song good god and this thing was fantastic i mean the way the instruments intermingled the how playful they were you just went along for the ride i lost and my sh- at this moment yeah, yeah, yeah. i really did well you know it showed up again at the end of it and i it does wanted, show up little, i wanted yeah. i wanted it to show up again was the organ i needed that organ to show up and like just ring us out into the night but the cool thing is because all right this is what like i liked in the last couple tracks you know it's it's a it's a, a great instrumental it's a solo that first is just a jam between the bass and the guitar but then the synth shows up and at that point it is outrageous cacophonous in intensity beyond imagination. And this is exactly the kind of thing that, I mean, even though it may conflict with some of the earlier sections and that should be taken into account, the payoff is something I often don't find. And I think that's the only way I can really look at it. Because if you look at it as a whole and as a through line or maybe a pulse throughout the album, there's a lot of scatteredness going on right here. I want to bring that up again, and I have to harp on this. And it's probably... As much as I love this track, and I really do love this track, the only way it works is that it does not repeat on itself, is that it is so rapidly going from idea to idea. If it really harkened back to that chorus one more time, it would have fallen apart for me. It would have 
lost so much cohesion because it would have been something the same too often. But on successive listens, the sheer excitement involved with these folk segments contrasting against these muse-like choruses, this pivoting back and forth that I initially jeered at, became the song's greatest asset. But some of these ideas, especially the softer simmering sides, I wanted so much more out of them. I wanted mm. so much more expansion on those ideas themselves. Well, I'll use that as a little bit of a jumping off point just to close the book on this track by bringing up something I kind of neglected to bring up earlier. And that was that back in the folk section, I really, really like when not just when he sings really softly and delicately, but when the backup vocalists join him. And let's just even when they join it, it's, it's the timing of those harmonizations. Like they never stick around so much as to become this constant presence, like they're just always doubling. They stick step in, and then they step out, and then it's just him, and then they step back in, and the timing is really astute. So on, on, on that nice compliment, let's go to track five, Canvas Color Comfort. The three C's, if you will. The three C's. The only three C's you need to know. And it's probably other C's. So this is a, another song that, at least at its core, in the beginning, feels very synth-driven. You know, we had had that a bit in the beginning of track four, and for sure in the beginning of track three. And so we get some more of it here. Um, and what I like about it is that every time the synth does come in to kind of take us off, it never feels quite the same. In fact, it, it reminds me of, like, old-school experimental rock especially when the the uh, rhythm section the drum is like really really harping on that thump yeah there's a three second sample that is maybe it's actually the first time you hear it is around like six seconds i mean the opening burst fills the room and foreshadows the chorus that synth you spoke of soars upward this one five four two and then at at six seconds a kind of disembodied strut and you really can't help but strut along to this but it only lasts for about three seconds but it does make seldom appearances throughout the track and it was really familiar when I heard it, and we weren't able to actually figure it out until our uh, good buddy John here kind of did. I just kept humming it to myself, and eventually I got to That's All by Genesis. And it really, it's... Which is exactly what I thought it was. Like, it was like, oh, Oh, it was one of those aha moments. And while I love it for its inclusion here, because I think it's actually a nice kind of like a screen wipe between... The parts it bridges, yeah, it 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 also shows me something, and that's we're kind of going through the idea motions again. Yeah, I felt like this was a little underutilized. I mean, who knows? Maybe because it was a direct sample of Genesis, they said yeah, we can't use any more of that. But it was an idea that kind of burgeoned out the rest of the song. But it doesn't really feel inherently connected to many other parts of the song. It was just a really great sample, and I do feel it was. If one could say tastefully abandoned, but that doesn't mean that I didn't want more of it. Right. Well, I think also the the issue with this song, which is kind of the first time I have this issue on the record, is that the choruses here I'm not quite on board with. I feel like the instrumentation kind of devolves a little bit in these choruses. You know, they're not just... And that could just be because they're not getting as either catchy as earlier choruses or expansive as other choruses. I think that is the problem and because... I, and I think that it's a problem because, essentially, to oversimplify it, it's a problem because it's not as good as the other choruses. And and that, I feel like, is a little unfair, but I think it's also with the structure of this track because this does feel a little more even than previous tracks had as well. I think all of that together kind of lost some of its luster for me. Well, remember, so far on almost every other chorus that we've had, you know, my 
experience was basically like, whoa, that's an odd shift. But, oh, it's got that one thing that I just am learning to love. love that and I'm thing. learning and I'm loving it every single time I listen to the. I listen to this album a, a few times over and it's just, it, it, it grows on you. But then in this particular chorus, apart from the soaring synth, which I actually do love, there wasn't that, that thing being revealed, at least not vocally. I, I would call this kind of the Coheden Cambria-ish part. I mean, this is not that I'm like putting down Coheden Cambria, but I felt like his vocals were kind of channeling that a little bit again. And just, there was too much heavier distortion here. It yeah. was just a constant distortion and I felt like that that really hurt it as a whole. I wanted more of the the three second funk sample or or what have you. The big thing was that little funk sample that does show up, that little the, the, the three seconds. It does two things that didn't happen on this album so far. One is that we're actually getting a little bit of a unique transition piece between sections. And on the other hand, it's replacing bridge work. So the bridges earlier that we're, we're going on and on about, which were great because they would take an instrument and let that instrument strut. Maybe it would turn into a full-fledged solo. Maybe it would just be something to set up a little bit of a twist on the vocal work so that we can get another side. Well, that's gone. At the same time, we don't really need to go from section to section with a breather. We've, we've, we're already well into tracks going, okay, and now for something completely different, but it works. Right. But it's, okay, jazz, alt rock, metal, I don't care. We're going from one, from A to B to C rapidly, and it's very freeform, but it works. Even, even as scattered as Essence was, I still see it as... Maybe we're on a train and we're just seeing, we're going from the good section to the not so good section to the red light district to the arts. I don't, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but it works for that context. Here, as much as I like three heavy thumps that work well, it just breaks up the track. It's like reading to varying degrees like the first paragraph of a great novel. You're going to want to read on. You know, yeah. but they, they, they send you to another great novel. And that gets yeah. constant referrals. So that's a little bit of a problem. But still, let's let's in, indulge this track and keep describing the kinds of things it reveals. Around 1 minute 7 seconds, the verse here is a little bit thinner. I mean, the keyboard and the drums really guide you. But the chords, interestingly, they don't anchor you. Yeah. They hop around, they stutter. And it's, it's just something that's interesting because it's such a complex progression that has these interrupted phrase separators that arrive like vertical brackets. You know, the, these stutters, this bump, 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 bump. Like, the chord's really complex, but then that's the rhythm that the phrase ends you with, which I find kind of interesting. And I think that amidst this soft rock, soft prog segment, the beginning of the track has somewhat been lost, and that's part going back to the, the problem of earlier. But they do bring back the R&B later, you yeah. know, they bring back the Timberlake uh, uh, edge, and then they introduce a new instrument at 2 minutes and 40 seconds, which was kind of like this flute-like thing. It sort of whistles its way through and, and kind of glistens, making the sections shine out a little bit. But the rest is mostly just jamming and experimentation uh, with the keyboard guiding us through, which is, the, uh, interestingly, for the first time, the most dominant instrument. It was complicated. Like, there's there's some virtuosity showing up right here. Like, there's some real quality. But at the same time, I feel like it was doing the same thing just in different ways over and over and over again. Instead of different identities and different sections showing up, as much as I like the instruments and how really awesome at sections they turn out to be, maybe there's just a little bit too much cohesion going on because I feel like the core of this track, the core identity, 
is is that simple thump is a little bit too simple it is just well, that was only at the end the, but it's just the standout part because it's like no, oh no, no i feel like it's on built, the beat <laughs> i feel like it's built around that rhythm section and it and for the first time it doesn't feel like it's built around the intricacies of the melodies yeah, it's it's tough because with Prague, a lot of it is just being playful, and I do think at times they're just a little like at times you get brilliance out of it, and then at times it's just a little bit you know, excessively playful. Like there was a moment where I did kind of lose the mystique of this because at three minutes eighteen, they I thought the track had been undone. Like it's isolated segments now. I don't see where it's going. But then the keyboard and some ethereal vocals just ring out, and I think it was an applauded attempt, but kind of a sloppy reintroduction. Of the intro, they brought it back. You had yeah. to wait a while, but they brought it back. And and perhaps if there had just been more integration in the middle segment, but it did kind of let you see this track as an overall ternary structure. So there was a little bit of like, all right, when you get to the end, you do see what it is. It's just an interesting, an odd experience as a whole. Yeah. You do see the the you know the kind of overall ABA in a very loose description. All right, let's go to track six, Rebirth. With Rebirth, I feel like we're at a place now where the middle of the album takes a bit of a strange turn. It's oddball for an oddball album, and more so with Rebirth because we've got this kind of static-filled lo-fi intro that gives way to a string section that's really pretty, but both of those things are, again, completely out of left field. It's another first paragraph of a really fascinating novel. I mean, yeah, static and sound effects. This is very new for them. Uh, the 80s synth and piano as atmosphere, not as jamming here. And, yeah. and and it's just, before I even realized it, strings, strings enter in here. And, and they were kind of in effect, but it was a very, very interesting exposition until about a minute in. I'm not going to say this was a sudden shift at all, but we do get a different feel of the track. You know, it came in with this sort of more video game 8-bitty thing, along with lyrics, born again, born again, born again. So, Actually, I, you we know, did sort of abandon the intro. That was a little unfortunate, but... I, I almost felt like it was it was first album Linkin Park kind of showed up right here to, <laughs> to do an explosive introduction into the, the lyrical content of this know. track. I just felt like this track was kind of handled... I think artistically, I didn't jive with it. I jive with a lot of this record, but at this moment, when the strings give way to the first verse, and the verse kind of takes that kind of tone that John's describing, it almost feels pedestrian to me compared to the rest of this song. And the album this far just felt so unlike anything we've gotten That's and it seemed like an odd choice pedestrian compared to the three tracks that we chose to spend an hour on right know, because yeah. of how much we love them and that's that's my point is that it just feels like this is less than but it's less than what was really great so it's still not bad i just i'm not quite sure what to do with it on this record. Well, then let's put kind of a, a little strike through here. <laughs> Not a strike through, but I mean, it's standard rock fare until about a minute 47 mm-hmm. when we do start to go down that worried alley again. And then in 157, well, what instrument is that? It sounds like maybe prepared piano. It sounds like maybe a harpsichord. Whatever it is, it was a really interesting new piece of texture that was blended with the whole. And I thought that was a great moment in this track. Yeah, I think my biggest problem here also is it kind of flipped to what a lot of the other tracks had been doing. Like you'd said earlier in the album, Steve, that when it got kind of lighter and brighter, especially in the courses that were sort of 
well, not sort of, were very catchy. You weren't as on board with that. You still liked it, but it, it's more of a style reminiscent of what you're not really a fan of. I felt like here, the lighter parts were actually the better parts. Like when it was in the verses, it just felt kind of mon more mundane than other stuff they had done. But when the choruses went brighter and familiar to that kind of more popular stuff, it was at least catchier. It was something I could latch on to. Yeah, I, I could see that. And and to be honest, I mean, up until certain sections, they did actually have me poised to reanalyze those old bands like, you know, Coheed and Cambria and some others that I may not have given them their due because I thought that, like, well, I may not like the style, but is it really because I don't, like, it's the music as a whole or maybe their construction of songs that right. I was less into? And here, because I was more interest, interested in their construction of the song, then maybe I could actually re-examine the style. This track actually subtly reminded me of Disclosure from Godsticks, where it was kind of an oddball, almost an outlier. It was a soft, nice little track, but it was a breather track, nice, nicely nestled inside so much other stuff that was going on. This track felt like they were attempting to do that. They thought they were going to do that, but at times they still had to pull back. They still had to go back to other roots and borrow from other ideas. Maybe the softer side, which I thoroughly loved, could have been expanded. Like a full atmospheric string section. Maybe that all right, idea that's alone the key. could that's have the been key. huge. Maybe like, all right, Disclosure was a, was a strange, pure piano jazz fusion uh, interlude on a very, like, prog metal grunge album. And the thing is, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it would work, but it, it, it does work as a palate cleanser. And this almost, almost could have been that palate cleanser if it were just for that first minute, and if that first minute kind of went into its own thing. If they let that guide the track, but it didn't really guide very much. Instead, later on, you know, we had everything we said. We had the standard hard rock fair, and then the guitar is sort of doing this little exorcist thing in the background. That was kind of neat as we move into the pre-chorus, which is a lot more stuttered this time, where the lyrics are, this must be an illusion. And then the worrying begins again to the, at the tail end, which is the only thing I can kind of bring back and relate to that intro when it yields to more of a church-like choir, as they say, things shall remain as they are. Then they hold that note, that, that, that word, as you get this single piano strike, as they are. It was haunting. It just, it felt like that was the beginning and the end, and I don't see the middle. I don't, I, don't, I don't see where that jives. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. that, that ending does lend itself pretty well, though, to connect to track seven, though. Because Countless Damages starts with an echoey acapella vocal intro that, again, another intro to another track that's unlike anything we've gotten before. Yep. But what was really cool about this is it pervaded that haunting tone because it had this echo... That added a drama in the acapella vocals that reminded me quite a bit of like what a lot of Eurometal bands had done, like your Iron Maidens and your Sonata Arcticas, where they kind of bellowy, echoey vocals. Absolutely, and he's breaking down the, the, the syllables of these words, mesmerizing cryptic forms are hiding in here. And their harmonizing here is gorgeous, mm -hmm. absolutely gorgeous. And then it's joined in by another great rock riff, but this is not a departure, because they no. keep that going. They keep saying mesmerizing cryptic forms are hiding in here. And 
And interestingly, this seems to have been a chorus. Like, we began with a chorus, which I don't know if they've really done yet, but it's it's it really ramps up the energy of this track, and it's fascinating how they transformed that sort of solemn, church-like, you know, choir of mesmerizing cryptic forms in the very beginning, and they really blended it seamlessly with uh, this the energy of the section that follows. It's this high-intensity rhythm, which if you're counting, like, super fast, which I'm only going to do for the sake of explaining it, will be like this what and do and 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 what and do and 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 it's 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 really energetic which is also what lended me to compare this to euro metal because it's got that fast kind of almost speed metal pace yet yet i was kind of getting relaxed by it because it sort of white noised itself it was so rapid that i wasn't trying to pick out the individual notes it's not like earlier bass work or something like that where i wanted to hear every chord being played and every turn that it was going through it just did enough to blanket everything that the almost drony nature of it did relax me. Yeah, that didn't bother me so much. One thing that I can say that I liked, although it was a little bit odd, was the guitar solo around a minute and 25 seconds, which was sort of screeching and staccato, but the funny thing here is that the chords in the background, like, are all feel very uplifting. It's almost like an uplifting soundtrack to, like, I don't know, an 80s working woman. Like, a feel-good flick, but yet the music is still very interesting. It, yes, but its context is worrying me a little bit, because the reliance on the higher register, the reliance of sort of being uplifting, doesn't feel like it's fitting so much else. Because the chorus, when the chorus comes back in, it's still that kind of halting vocal work that that kind of gives lie to what the solo said. Yeah, a little bit. But although, you know, the lyrics actually did say a sudden transformation that turns the black shapes into fists. I don't know what that means, but hey, artistic defense, boom. Well, and also I'd say that because of his vocal diversity in the song and that he does shift from like the kind of metal punctuated singing to the almost pop vocals later on, it kind of gives this feeling of this forcing your mouth open to smile, this fake forced smile tone to the whole track, which I think also is an artistic explanation that's kind of forgiving of it. Yeah, that's how I felt about the kind of section to follow the chorus. This is part C. It feels like Adam Levine almost. Only it, it differs a few measures in because really you only get a little bit of that before we get something totally different. It's a very strange section for them to dwell in, but it's almost like Snoop Dogg and his backup crew tried to just like, you know, see the big words at us for the remainder of the track. And the chords here are quite a bit more ominous, but this at least sticks around, you know, for some time. Even it sticks around long enough for some guitar comping to really develop into background while those lyrics just stay very monotone but deep and just kind of unsettling. Actually, I didn't hear I didn't hear anything harkening towards say R&B or hip hop or pop or anything like that. No, not it that. Actually, it actually felt just... the vocals felt more like Metal, again, but a different kind of metal, a darker metal, but the inflection was pop-ish. It felt like Snoop Dogg. Pop-ish. It's just the inflection, just the inflection. I might be a little more versed in Snoop Dogg, but I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that specifically, but But it it was a nice mumble, really. But also, the, the actual outro of the song kind of gives way to this kind of groovy guitar, that back to the kind of playfulness, Yeah, that melds well with that interesting cadence of the vocals. I don't even want to like undersell this because even though we may be a little bit down on the jumpy nature of these tracks, like, all right, we get that guitar solo at the end and it is amazing. The funny thing is I don't 
feel like I'm doing these guitar solos justice because we say it all the time. Hey, a guitar solo, look, it's amazing. The sky is blue and the guitar solos are amazing. <laughs> and because that usually means that we're not affected by it because it doesn't feel fresh. Not the case here. They're awesome in unique ways every single time to varying degrees of integration, but what they lack in integration, they make up for in being really uh, technical. And this was, I think, come to think of it, really integrated. This was mm -hmm. both integrated and technical. You know, there had been the strut from the start, and mm -hmm. to some extent, that becomes a motif. And this was just like the cherry at the end of an absolutely whirlwind of an experience, but I would still kind of amalgamate it to say an amazing experience. And yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to agree, but I feel like the next track, Familiar Surroundings, which happens to be one of my favorites, um, takes it to that next level. In a different way, again. First of all, up front, this is the longest song on the record. It's a whopping 7 minutes and 22 seconds. And we go leaning back to jazz a bit here. You it's know. all atmosphere to a yeah. certain point. You know, electric keyboard, spotlights all on him. But, you know, the, the, the stuttered nature of it really does scream, hey, another exposition. You know, yeah. that this is going to be a big deal of a track. Now, this is a track that I've Warmed Up 2 doesn't quite do it justice. For starters, this is the track where I learned to embrace the organ. It's not merely a wall of sound. It's a blending element that I completely underestimated. Because first impressions can distort the ear. So when the chorus shows up, it actually became one of my favorite parts of this album. At the climax, the lyrics go, The optimism is broken. I had to take time to appreciate how much I really loved this. The melody feels like it's pitching up and down like a ship on the high seas. And the drums just roll to a stop. And and we repeat the line. We roll to a stop again, and we repeat. It became one of the most moving parts of the album because the backup singers join in on the final broken, bro-o-kin. And I've never been so impressed by backing vocalists in an album. It's beyond music at this point. It's theater. There was also the, what I called the Crosby Seals Nash vocals, that kind of psychedelic rock vocal work in the chorus, which was different for me. It was a different pairing, and it was one of the most enjoyable pairings for a chorus. It was probably my favorite chorus overall, but when verse 2 comes in, it shows so much more, I guess, thought that as much as I love the chorus, I, I kind of am now turning to the side of the fence that Steve was on, where it's like, yeah, they're Wallace sounds, and they do good things for what they are. But what that second verse does, incorporating little pauses and almost literal punctuation into it, was was fascinating. And I'm not finding any fascination in the choruses. I'm finding solid organs just, like, building up heights and, and great complication, but less individuality in the instruments that are really just showing through some very intelligent design in these tracks. But I would argue that the courses here doing that is intentional because this song, I feel, has a, a more cohesive flow than a lot of the other tracks did. More or less, thematically, it kind of moves evenly and paced, and I like that. It's trying to purvey this spacey and sweeping kind of feel that also harkens to those pauses and those punctuations. But it's not just here. It's not just the choruses here. That's what I'm getting at. It, it It's really starting to shine a light on these choruses, as much as it feels like each one is an individualistic idea, they're starting to feel very similar to one another because they're going through very similar ideas. 
get everybody, get complicated, do something that individually might be very virtuosic, but when you start throwing everything together and then just do hammer organ work, it, they start blending really, really solid. The, the organ, it's another. true, is kind of a weird blending and binding instrument. I mean, I admit it took some warming up for me, and the same goes for the choruses, but once warmed up, it's like a meal that gets better on the second day. But we're getting sidetracked here because, I, again, I stress yeah. that in this track, I feel like, while I'm understanding what you're saying, John, about the album as a whole, I feel like it's intentional, intentional here for this track to add a different kind of cohesion. Again, on a lot of the other tracks, we talk about all of this jumping around, and we just don't do that here. All right. I think you might be onto something here, and it's true this is a very grand and blended track, and I haven't yet gotten the chance to speak on the verses. I just don't agree that the choruses are as comparatively bereft of thought as John seems to think. The verse, though, you're right, fascinating, and throughout the track, there's so many isolated things that we could go into. There's this parabolic nature of the melody, and, and maybe almost like Morse code, these short notes, long notes, which rise and fall on a single syllable. Lines like, dark phantoms feed her paranoia. Even later, the guitar. The tin guitar that shows the up tinny, was a new tinny, yeah. new element a new texture and the solo it goes right into out of the 80s. <laughs> oh it was it was great and then there's some really great wordplay starting at 3:30 which I don't even care what the words are say, but the inflection is, like, gripping at that moment. Like, well, this part's, the, she's not perfect anymore. I cannot eradicate these flaws. She's incarcerated herself. They punch out periodically, and they've been doing that really the whole album. I just wish I could, I, I wish I had the full transcript, which is why this is not really going to factor too heavily into, you know, my, my, my rating at all, because I just don't have the full story here. I wish I could hear a little more. But that, and I could have probably, you know, tried to transcribe air, more. That air of mystery pushes me through the album more. The fact that I have less information makes it more intriguing, I think, to me. Whereas, I don't know that it would be less intriguing if we did have a transcript. I'm just saying the mystery is also a well, positive. our history is full of extremes of both. Right. Where having, you know, all the lyrics in front of us has sometimes said, like, you know what? I'm not thrilled with the story. Now yeah. that I know everything, right. it's not that thrilling. And then other times we pick up things that we never would have found out had we not read the whole story. And, and then suddenly our rating goes through the roof, maybe unwarrantedly. And then unwarrantedly. there's a third part where we go, oh, those are great words, the Music's not backing it up at yeah, all. Yeah, and, and all those things. <laughs> so, here, so here, yeah, we have some blissful ignorance to all that. But I can say that this is probably how pre-Crash Chords podcast, I more traditionally enjoyed music because I didn't always transcribe and I didn't make a habit like so many people did of always reading the book jacket and always, you know, reading lyrics online. Instead, it was more just like, that is a really great line. And I heard it, and it was crisp, and it stood out because of how it blended with the music. And that is very much how I'm enjoying this album, even though here I was kind of forced into that corner. There is a couple of things that really did stand out on this particular track, and one of them was the bass guitar duel. I guess one was fighting the other. They weren't comping, because if they were comping, I think they would have been a little more succinct. Because the bass shows up and is doing things, and as loud and as front as the guitar is, I felt myself honing in on the bass. Because the bass was, I don't know. It, it was, was a like very a, gurgling bass, it was a, It was a scary current underneath everything that I just wanted to follow. I wanted to follow its path as much as the guitar was trying to distract me. And that's not saying the guitar was bad or poorly done or anything like that. I just felt like it was... It was a screaming child when I was really into the the documentary I was watching or something like that. And yes, the child has its own 
beauty to it, but I don't care. I want to see. I want to see space. I want. I want. I want to see. I want to see caribou in the wild or something like that. Like something just different. I think this was a very expertly blended track. It's like the instrumental here is still really phenomenal. That's when the gurgling bass, you know, really comes out. And then the the guitar runs transpiring alongside this are, they're insane. This is just, at this point, you just have to say, all right, these guys are phenomenal musicians because this is speed unlike we've seen before. So it may not draw out the same specificity in us, but I feel their talent in this track and have come to appreciate the song just like their earlier tracks. So let's go to track nine, Any Direction. This is a track that... Like I said earlier, is full of theater. And on the face of it, it's a fun, concise end of album track. Not as shocking in tone because it features many of the same things we've seen already, but very joined together and flushed out now by some of the masterful prog cohesion that we've been seeking. It's a complex track, make no mistake, but I didn't digest it myself the first few times around because we're nearing the end and the album is dense. It can tire the ear if you're not in full appreciation mode, but it is full of emotional extremes. In the intro, for instance, you have this 60 70s keyboard all on its own and then the guitars join in and the chords here move very rapidly from feeling to feeling schizophrenic jittery exuberant worried as if we're kind of at a crossroads for instance in the verse these dramatic slides in the vocals make it feel like we're about to repeat the content of the verse thus far but then the backup singers join in and switch gears the falsettos 41 seconds into the song and at this moment when we're syncopated against the drums and the keyboard I just sank into this track like a jacuzzi if jacuzzis were safe to dance in. And what's going on here is as much as I complained earlier about other parts or I lauded other parts here, it feels like the transitions that we're going through are damn near flawless. Like straight up, they're they're flowing from one section to another on, on a dime. The cornering is uh, phenomenal. Yet the constant propagation towards more and more like epicness because i feel like they're really trying to channel a jazz rush is yeah. is not doing it for me the reimagining that's going on here as we go from from verse to chorus from and chorus back to verse it, it's great ideas and these are really really great speed pieces going on right here but I, I think they're a little bit too similar I feel like there's too strong of a through line going I, I think it's a, ca- a question of, of does chaos equal you know equal climax maybe that's maybe a little bit of the problem that we're having at the end here they're they're in many ways getting more complex there's something that also has been a little bit lost in the lyrics to me in in the melodies themselves because i'm starting to feel that the melodies are a little bit rambly like it's the back to that same problem i mentioned in the very beginning of the entire album which i've really been avoiding bringing up because i i was liking the melodies in almost all of those instances but they almost feel like in, in a traditional you know classical art song you set your melody to poetry, a poetry that is pre-written, and it almost feels like you're just kind of setting them almost indiscriminately, like syllable uh, is this note, and then that syllable will go to that note, and this syllable will go to that note. I'm not saying that's exactly how it is, I'm not saying that's what happened, I'm just saying that's how it sometimes feels, which can feel very impressive and complex, but it almost feels like there were maybe some better choices in here, like maybe there could have been some more more uh, space or more emphasis on, on the particular stresses of the the sentence structure, which I feel to me is coming across here, is more of a blur. It's well, an interesting blur, but still a blur. We're getting more of maybe like an Andy Warhol factory kind of artistic style where it is supposed to be a little bit more off the walls. 
supposed to be a little more scattered and freeform. Not like beat jazz poetry, but like legitimately just ignoring rhyme schemes or something like that. And most of these lyrics do avoid rhyme schemes. So it would follow that maybe because he's avoiding rhyme schemes, he's avoiding some of the meter as well. Yeah, and I would agree also with both of you that this track, it's as good as some of the other tracks on this album. And so that's not bad. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I think do, but I'm not sure where to go with I that. I think we're just going through a little end-of-album lull here. And it's tough because you, the ear can get a little bit exhausted. It's funny because we're not listening at the moment. We're just, like, we're remembering the music. So it's like our memory might be getting a little exhausted. Maybe it's an album you have to, you know, partition or, or take in spaces. Or one that you have to digest fully before you can really, you know, break down these sections to the same degree that I broke down the beginning. Let's go to track 10, Second Hand Life, which is maybe a little nod to their band. Band name? I don't know. Who knows? I, I, I mean, so here <laughs> we go back. We we get some instrumentation that we have heard before. We get that kind of ringing, almost tinny guitar work, as well as piano here in the beginning. What sounds like a legit, actual piano, not the electric kind. Although the electric kind can sound like a real piano, but that's neither here nor there. It, I, I like where it starts, but what's really strange is it takes this really harsh and stark instrumental shift, which I jokingly said off air, it's like all the other instruments vomited it on the track. But I don't mean that as a negative. It just feels like this sudden um, insertion of every other kind of instrumentation we had gotten that makes this uh, track then at that point take off running. It does start almost like so gentle it's almost noir before suddenly just bursting out. And then it's pivoting constantly back and forth between these two sections for for a good portion of the track. Yeah. It, it, in many ways is one of the simpler tracks of the lot because yeah. a lot of it is some of just basic eighth notes in the background on the bass. Um, but it's it's strange in that it's easygoing and yet full of apprehension at the same time, which although that may seem to describe uh, the character of the album as a whole, I find it strange that here, for the first time, they're embodied simultaneously in one track. It actually, as much as, while Any Direction had some of the most flawless of transitions, this was the most abrupt, but those two pivoting sections, especially when it, it, it breaks forth into the verses, which is really just piano, rhythm, and, and a high-end guitar... I, I find all three of those ideas very endearing, and they tickled something in me. They were separate. They are very much separate in my mind while I'm listening to the three different sections, but I, I love them too much. Like, individualistically, they might be three of the top ten, and there's like 150 on this album, but three of the <laughs> top ten of this album. Oh, that's interesting. I, I can't get them out of my mind. And so... Well, this is definitely not the best track on the album. It's definitely not the strongest one. It is, for me, just a very endearing closure because I feel like I'm actually getting closure on this album with this track. It's It's got apprehension. The chorus is really rapid, and if we didn't get uh, a kind of a faux smile earlier, I would have taken it as sort of super enticing apprehension super forceful apprehension but here it just feels like it feels true it feels like it's summing up so many different parts of Eno that we've gotten on this album I feel like it really is doing a end state characterization of the character itself well what I like about this as a conclusion and an end to the album is that it's not 
a, a statement. It's not, you know, screaming the point. It's kind of just a nice wrap-up. And often we talk at length about how we need this kind of grand summation or we need this impactual punctuation at the end. Here, I'm kind of grateful that it flows and then comes to an end. It, it feels more real. It makes the character of Eno feel more real. I also like, I believe it was you or, or maybe John that said, you know, the secondhand life is almost like what we've been going through the entire that time. Was me, yeah. like we've been living the secondhand life of, of, of Eno, essentially, and now it feels like it's been captured to some extent. We've gone through all the ups and the downs, and now it just, it kind of is, because that's what life is. So we're not getting an exclamation. We're getting an ellipsis. And I, I love the fact that it is that ellipsis. It is that to be continued, because if this is a person, if this is you know, if this is a representation of an individual, they, they're not done. They have more to do. So why put finality if they're still here, if they still have further to go? I mean, that, that would seem, that would seem false. That would yeah. seem like a cop out. So a little bit uncertain, a little bit tentative, a little bit incomplete is great way to end a fairly unique theme, a fairly unique album. If this is a singular individual, an actual individual, it's almost like we got a portrait of her. It's almost like we actually got details. Now, we don't know her life story, and that's sort of appropriate because we're just getting a sort of snapshot of who this individual is because there's growth i mean one track's called rebirth and the theme of change is present not just in the lyrical work not just in the fact that we are jumping between different sections fairly rapidly and it being a portrait is a fairly unique way of showcasing someone because we're not getting a love story between two people and maybe we'll understand one more than the other. We're just getting sort of the the mental undercurrents of Eno and these are great undercurrents because nobody is one specific thing. Nobody is the the the, the sharp and harsh and 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 stalwart metal and rock no one is the playful funk and jazz no one is the somber folk they're all different aspects rolled up together yeah i got critiques here but the critiques amount to that section wasn't as good as everything else or that idea was a similar idea that was awesome earlier they're just doing it again i'm sorry that awesome again wasn't good enough i don't know how else to phrase that um, because throughout the entire thing, even like the walls of sounds, which may not have been as good, the choruses, which may not have been as good at the end of the day, they were still extremely well composed at the worst. So for that, and the fact that it's a, a, a stellar prog idea, not prog metal, not prog rock, just prog, just progressive with a fairly unique theme for Seven five, four seven five, four real real upper echelon piece. A four seven five out of five. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This was this was phenomenal. Okay. All right. Um, I'm gonna try and be brief here because um, I have a habit of sometimes when I'm emotionally invested in an album getting a little long winded. What can I say? I have a lot to say. 
That was redundant, but I want to keep it. Anyway, okay. um, otherwise Steve might just edit me out of the whole episode if I don't tell him. Oh, <laughs> That would sound really weird. It would sound really weird. He edited me out of an entire episode. I didn't even show up. Nelson showed up, and I, I like everything I said was just lost. That's true, yeah. We just removed you. We wanted Nelson instead. <laughs> I'm Steve. I'm John. And this is the Crash Course <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> anyway, so I think... To expand a little bit on what John was talking about as far as theme for the record, I think it's really interesting that we have a male vocalist singing about a woman, and it's not, well, it's not inherently obviously romantic, and it's not, I'm in this story, and there's this woman. It's literally, here's this person. There's this person, and here's some stuff about this person. And I like that as far as the jumping off point because it's just not something we get. A lot of albums we take on either have a very personal and emotional attachment to the narrator or has some kind of emotional connection to the who the narrator and as someone else. Here it's just telling a story. It's not storytelling. It's literally here's a story about a person. And I really like that. I like that this kind of removal from it and letting us kind of get fascinated with this character. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, and like Steve alluded to, I'm intrigued by this person because I only have pieces. You know, it's the allure of the unknown. Musically, this thing is all over the place, but I like that. It's funny. I've always taken Prague as a structure and not a sound, which I know isn't the case, but that's kind of how I always wrap my brain around it. kind of is the case. It kind of is. It's, But, you know, it, there is a unique sound to Prague as well. But what I like about Prague, and I've said this before, is its versatility to intermingle with all sorts of other sounds. And I think that's what makes this album so powerful for me, just like Godsticks. It's like, oh, a grunge album that's also really progressive and interesting and unique and all over the place? Yes, please. And this is the same thing. This goes from jazz to funk to pop to rock to metal to hard rock, you know, and back again. And I really love that because it's kind of across the widespread net of what I like. You know, it's integrating pretty much if there was a if was there was some hip hop or rap naturally integrated, then it would probably kind of run the gamut of everything I listen to. So I'm appreciative of that. Um and again, as we all said, like the virtuosity of this band cannot be denied. They do some incredible stuff. And, you know, this only being their third album, I now, of course, want to go back and hear their other two. I'm excited to hear what else they do because I feel like they're only going to get more fine-tuned and more precise with this kind of, you know, they're going to hit the bullseye next time, I feel like, because they came pretty close this time. And before I continue to ramble, I think I'm just going to give my rating. This, for me, is easily a 4 Point eight. They are just trailing behind Godsticks for me, and I think it's only because Godsticks, at my heart of hearts, I love grunge above a lot of other things, and Darren Charles comes pretty close to that with the rest of the band, whereas this is, you know, there were some moments that it dipped for me, but that said, I think they're still phenomenal, and this is the kind of thing I want music to do. This, exactly. This kind of insane catch-all of all this cool stuff and utilizing it to your advantage. 
All right. Well, both of you have said a mouthful on theme, uh, which I find so interesting considering <laughs> our understanding of this theme was so really limited. I mean, I, I do think that probably took up a, a larger portion of this episode than maybe there should have because we do only have lines. We are only putting it together. And simply to say it is a story about a girl is not enough, but it is not an element in my discussion here because that was, it's it's our fault. We should, you know, I, I, I'm going to say this straight out. I think I'm buying this album. I don't say that on on every album because of course you know we can't buy every single album that we encounter it's sort of a you know we look we look we see and then sometimes we are inspired to take that leap this is an album i am definitely ordering because it's first of all there are the lyrics probably hopefully and i'll be kind of disappointed if they're not but even if they're not on the book jacket then i could i will still have a, 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 a crisper quality experience of what was already a pretty amazing experience but just to to, to say that last thing about theme you know we can't just remove ourselves to say, ah, well, I believe in getting impressions of things is um, to the album's benefit. Because there's so much dense lyrical content here that I think if we had the lyrics, as we do on many of our, our album listens, then I think we would find one whopper of a story about this girl, Eno. So that is just left as a giant question mark here for me to hopefully discover when I... Um, when I ordered this album, or when I transcribed the hell out of it. <laughs> Maybe it'll come down to that. I don't know. Not everything is in the book jacket. But this, to me, was a musical experience front to back. It's not just the fact that it's prog. And, you know, I could say something about what you just said about how dynamic they are, but to incorporate how dynamic they are, how stylistically dynamic, you know, in, in the fact that they have metal and they have jazz fusion, they have all these things that we mentioned, and his vocal dynamism as well. I mean, he can do just about every single style of vocals there is, as far as I can tell. And it leads me to being somewhat split down the middle, because on one hand, I'm just impressed at the fact they can do that, but I don't think it's always seamless. And that's the one little problem that I, I, I do have here, is just, I'm not sure that in every single moment I felt the band second relation. There are times where I felt I was kind of taking a, a, a bit of a sightseeing trip through other genres, but in every case, I felt like I was seeing the best of them. And that, to me, is absolutely fascinating. Like, you're taking a sightseeing trip, but you're not just seeing, like, you know, poor quality dioramas. You're seeing... You're seeing the top-notch examples of what those genres have put out over the years. There's really, the quality is hard to deny. So to me, the biggest critique that I have on this album really is just those sectional variances. If you're looking at specific sections, then within them, often they're, they're phenomenal. And even transitions are phenomenal. It's more of the tonal shift that kind of just throws me for a little bit of a loop in the end, being like, oh, we're here now. Oh, I should feel... Uh, happy after going down that whirlwind, maybe that is exactly how they want me to experience the character. So, yeah, it's about the only problem. Everything else is phenomenally virtuosic, and I enjoyed the crap out of this album, which is exactly why I will be ordering it the first chance I get. Uh, this, to me, is... I think I'm going to put it in the same boat as Matt, but this album was something just a slight bit short of a masterpiece to me. I think I'm throwing it at a, at a 4.9. They really thought this thing through on the micro scale, uh, unlike most albums we get. <laughs> I actually have something to follow this up with that I think lends to our... Um, the, the how heavy me and John got sucked into the theme that's about Eno. It's this idea that music can depict a person... And I always like playing with the idea, and I don't know, maybe you guys have too, of, you know, do you have a theme? 
Like, do you have a theme I have a as theme. a person? I have, like, three different themes. So it depends do, on the time of day. So, no, but seriously, like, I, there are plenty of songs that I've listened to where I go, yeah, this song is about me. Obviously, it's not about me. That's an but interesting... I feel, but I feel like it is because I relate to it so much. And this idea that music can be about someone, like, I've not had someone write a song about me. But there are songs that I quite identify with. Well, it's an interesting query because it brings to mind like the fact that we write stories at all. We yeah. write stories because we feel that there are themes in that, that just kind of leap out in life. Yeah. But does the second you do that, does it make it you know otherworldly? Does it make it this thing that is almost more, more separate from the human experience because it has been boiled down to a theme? Yeah. Something where there is a definite moral in the end or maybe a lack of moral, but you still feel that the, because you had the solid piece there you know, that was meant to convey such a thing, then the theme is just so, so obvious. But to look at one's life and say, is it, is it, it's essentially saying, are you worthy of, of a great novel or of a film or of, of all those other things? Could it? Could you say that about yourself? Ego aside. Well, ah, you see, taking your ego aside, actually, I think, would be damn right impossible for me to do. Yeah. Well, the question, I guess, it. Yeah. It. 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 it in, do you, can you? Would you really? It trying requires to say, that your ego's there. Is there a song that embodies you? Yeah. That's what you're trying for me. You're trying to say. Uh, you know what? I think throughout life, I have been conceited enough to say yes. Because I can think of two or three offhand that I know are just incorrect, but, like, they were my song. They were me growing up at one point or another or a third point in my life. Like, when I was probably my most emo and morose and everything like that, uh, Mad World was, like, the song. That was me. That was me. I, I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying and blah, blah, blah. Like, the most emo I was and really, like freaking stupid indie kid I was at the time yes that would have been me but high school like flagpole sitta I've talked about it before it was one of my it's still one of my favorite songs that was me that that's was not me even in high school that's not even the question because like what does it alright no, what, what did does it describe me. about you what is what is that theme about you it was well to, to use my examples uh, Mad World showed how edgy and how different and how unique but dark snowflake I was at the time. The dark snowflake. The dark snowflake. Is that, that, that's how you would uh No, I just came up with that up? on the spot. But, no, that's not bad. But like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, for off the cuff, yeah. <laughs> he but, falls, um, and by the time he hits ground, he's soiled. But that's <laughs> what I saw myself as well, it's fine. at that moment of my life. I've found songs that retroactively I apply to myself. Um, like there's a song that Michael Kill released called It's Okay to Hate Your Fucking Life. And while the the, the title inherently uh, inspires giggles because it's just such a funny thing to say that it's okay to hate your fucking life. The song is about depression, but from this perspective of it's okay to be depressed. You're, it's okay to hate your life and yourself. You're allowed to feel that. And this idea that you have to convey to people who just say, well, why don't you just feel better? Well, it's not that easy. Mm. And I've been in that place. And so for a song to exist that I could have applied to myself when I was in those moments, it's really interesting because not a lot of people sing about being sad in that way. Usually they sing about being sad and kind of opening a vein, whereas this is more tongue-in-cheek about, hey, F you, I'm allowed to be depressed. And you can't give me shit for being depressed or tell me to just cheer up. I want to be depressed and go through this and feel this. I think my life is akin to a broken down race car. 
Okay. No, no, like he's won you're races. Going, you're he's... going the distance. Going the distance. Going for speed. speed. Not going for cake. That's what I'm not going for. But I will say, no, it's like, you know, you, you have moments where it's just like, all right, you won races and stuff like that. But it's like, all right, there's times we just can't start. Right. Times where that's just that's the, and you could be fixed, you know. You, you could just simple repairs might actually like you know restart along the train. But I think that's a pretty good summation of my life. I don't know how that could be conveyed in song, but that could definitely be conveyed by theme. But I mean, you like music can follow that pretty simple arc of you know <laughs> of the the energy involved in winning races in various times, and then you know creaking. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to also pin down one to represent you sure because like there's different aspects of every person and as much as everybody thinks that they're individual snowflakes um going back to the snowflake thing uh they're not there's a lot of themes of people's lives and emotional states and emotional situations and social spaces and all that sort of stuff that have a lot of overlap with one another there's very little that's that actually is unique. So certain ideas like your romantic life, a lot of people will be able to pick the same song to represent their romance. Yeah. And a lot of people would be able to pick the same song to represent their relationship with their parents or with their children. And people can pick their songs of their work life. Well, I do think, like, you, you associate these things. You know, I came up with that analogy is because those are the kinds of things that I guess have affected me, you know, in film before. Like, even just going back to when I was really little, I loved Herbie, Herbie the Love Bug, yeah. right? I love just the concept of it, just the idea of this car that no one expected. But, whoa, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a Volkswagen Beetle, Beetle that just, you know, goes to the end. And I love the lore involved and be like, no one thought he could do it. Right? It's a pretty simple theme, but there's a lot of emotion wrapped up to the point where, like, the car becomes... A character, which is pretty crazy, and it was probably a pretty new concept for the time. Uh, the movie was what 68, 67, yeah. or something like that. I believe it was Disney, and uh, you know, there's other however you see it. The Millennium Falcon was that in many yeah. ways. No one, everyone judged it, but boom, it goes. And music, film can all follow these arcs, and it's it's pretty time tested. You know, it wasn't only a couple weeks ago that we talked about the seven basic plots of literature, and that almost falls under a kind of a rags to riches story. And especially if you have a single person to identify it with, then there's a lot of emotional turmoil that could be involved in that. And also taking it back to what John was saying about how it's hard to identify yourself with one song, I have five playlists. <laughs> there I've made five playlists that are called Playlist About Matt, and I literally pull songs from all these different artists that I feel like have something to do with an aspect of my personality, my emotions, my relationships, my life, you know, and so I get that. And I think I only stopped at five because... It just got more complicated as I, you know, collected more music. I make fun of you mainly for the playlist thing, but I did used to make playlists when I was younger. I guess lately I've been just looking for the singular thing. Like, I've been looking for the album, I guess, that defines what I could probably do, I guess, in playlist. You know, but it, it, it just means a little bit more when I can find the album that managed to be that thing front to back, which is why this is, you know, the, the holy grail search of the series in many ways. Sure, but I think playlists give you this customization that allows you to manipulate music to your will a bit, which yeah, is what I've I, always viewed it as. I think I ended up manipulating this this album a little bit to my will. You know, yeah. even the parts that I didn't expect in the beginning, a lot of it did end up molding, and I do think most of our most of the albums that we probably place in the upper echelon four is reaching toward five probably do end up being somewhat of that, or at least as close as I will ever ever get to experiencing that in, in a work. For Not sure. because it relates to you necessarily, but there must be something there's there connection. that's connecting. Yeah, there's a connection for sure. All right, well, before I uh, reveal what I have picked for next week, 
Um, uh, Steve, do you have any spam mail for us? <clears throat> Factory teammates Marco Fontana, Martin Gujan, and Jeremiah Bishop. They have to say, we are in work together. However, if it comes to the final, everyone is over the limit in suffering. So in the final analysis, you can't really work together. But during this process, if there is a gap, we can share data to close it. In accordance with old traditions, lightest, light athletes began the games. The earliest new Olympic champion was actually a student from Harvard University. James Connolly, two gold medals, one American Tom Burke, a pioneer in low, slar, low start 140. That's by Mabelig. There was three names in the beginning? Yeah, there were, yeah. I think I factory teammates. Teammates, I don't know. I, I think one of them made the Mad Lib that 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 we just went through, and gave one of them and said it's school based, and gave it to the other one it's sport based, and then randomly chose which one to fill in over the course of that discussion. Hmm. It's like say noun based on school. Apple. <laughs> okay. I'm not participating in this. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I'm letting, that, I'm letting that land. All right. So my pick next week, and I'm picking a doozy. Um, an artist that I've liked since the 80s, even when I was a wee baby. Um, and I followed his career loosely since, but um, he's been on hiatus for 15 years. And after 15 years, he's released a brand new record, and that artist is Rick Astley. Yes, that Rick Astley. And his the one al- that I actually compared this uh, this vocalist to at early and, occasions. And his brand new album called 50, because he is 50. Um, and oh, it is, I thought it was because he was 75. And uh, I think this is interesting because it's his first record in 15 years, not because he was forced out of the game or he got fed up. It's because he decided to take a break because he wanted to raise his his kid and have a family and and not worry about it he was in a position where he didn't have to worry about it because he had made enough money to feel secure and so makes sense i think it's interesting that after all that time he's going to jump back into the pop scene which is what he's known for and it's changed a lot and i mean he's he's british and so the pop scene there has changed a lot the pop scene here has changed a lot and so i think it'll be an interesting kind of look at someone sort of like what we do with eve six they had been on hiatus for a while and they kind of came back to do alt rock but alt rock is really pop now right and so i think this is going to be the the same kind of concept so i'm really actually excited to review it so that's what we're going to check out next week be sure to join us and of course always remember music is life and and life life is is good if you enjoyed this and other album analyses topics and guests please subscribe to the crash chords podcast on itunes where you can also rate us and review us for more media also subscribe to matt's one-on-one interview series crash chords autographs To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.